Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I mean, it's the only food made available, then you need to be clean. I mean, they needed to take heed to themselves. They couldn't let themselves go. If you let yourself go for a very long time and remain unclean, what would happen? You would just die. It wouldn't be available, which is a good nugget for you and I. That we would take heed to our lives, to ourselves, that we would keep short accounts with the Lord. We're flawed. We mess up. We make mistakes. But don't go on in rebellion with the Lord. Don't go on in disobedience. When you recognize I've messed up, you confess it, you repent, you get back up, but you don't just stay there. Today, Pastor Bill reminds you that you need to deal with the sin in your life. Confession and repentance is necessary for forgiveness. John wrote that if we confess our sins, our God is faithful to cleanse us of our sin every single time. And forget about the idea that you don't have sin. He said that if you say you have no sin, you make God out to be a liar and his word is not in you. You don't need to, nor should you, want to carry your sin. He came to deliver you from your sin and the penalty of sin. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 18, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Dazi, I want you to have the best. And as they gave their best, God also gave his best. What do we learn from that? That God never requires of us what he doesn't do. He's not a hypocrite. Give your best and he gives right back. And so, not that we give to get, but... It is his track record. It is what he does. And so he would give his best in turn to the servants that were there. In verse 13, uh, when he said the first ripe fruit, he wanted, obviously it was the first thing that was coming forth. It was something that was given in faith, but uh, it was the first ripe fruit. That means that as soon as they got ready, it was taken off and given to the Lord. You know, and anybody here that has fruit trees and those things, you know, when they're ripe, it's like, okay, well, they just turned the right color. Boom, they're ready. God said, I want it right then. I want it, boom, I want it then. Why? Because if you wait too long, you might be sitting at the table with it. You know, if you wait too long, and he said, just right off the top, give it to me first. And I do believe that that should be our prerogative when it comes to giving to the Lord. God, I want you to be first, first in the morning, first out of my paycheck, first in my gifts and talents and all. God, I want you to have the best and the first and the most of everything that I am, that we wouldn't give him less than our best. And so now... I said I would come back to it. I uh, said it in verse 11 and also in verse 13 that they must be clean. Why is that? How come they must be clean? If they're going to eat it, now it's made available to them. But it said at the end of verse 11, everyone who eats, everyone who is clean in your house may eat. And the end of verse 13, everyone who is clean in your house may eat. This is why that was important to the Lord. These Offerings were first offered up to the Lord. They were set apart, sanctified, holy as they were sent to the Lord in worship now as the priests and Levites and their families would eat them it's as though they're eating with the Lord this is holy this has been set apart you can't be in here filthy you can't be in here with junk and with you need to be clean now they needed to be ceremonially clean they needed to be right in a right place if they were going to partake what if God said you had to be right with him to eat We'd be skinny. <laughs> We'd be a lot thinner, you know. But he said, for you guys to partake of this, this is holy. And it's set apart by me. And it's the only food made available. Then you need to be clean. That means they needed to take heed to themselves. They couldn't let themselves go. If you let yourself go for a very long time and remain unclean, what would happen? You would just die. It wouldn't be available, which is a good nugget for you and I. 
that we would take heed to our lives, to ourselves, that we would keep short accounts with the Lord. We're flawed. We mess up. We make mistakes. But don't go on in rebellion with the Lord. Don't go on in disobedience. When you recognize I messed up, you confess it, you repent, you get back up. But you don't just stay there. Right. They couldn't stay in that kind of a state. They had to get it dealt with or, or they wouldn't be eating this holy meal in the tabernacle with the Lord. And so I believe the same is true that God has always had and still has a high standard for those that would serve him. And a couple verses, if you want to write them down in your notes in Psalm 24 verses one through six. Specifically, I like the part where God says, who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God says, who's going to ascend him? Who's going to come close? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Uh, we're told in James 3, verse 1, that let not many be teachers, you know, that they're going to receive the stricter judgment. You know, it's going to be harsher for them. And so in every area, God has a high standard for those of us that would serve him. And that's a good thing. He had it for them here. He has it for us now. Look at verses 15 through 19 now. It says everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, rather man or beast shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And those redeemed of the devoted things you shall redeem when one month old, according to your valuation, for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 gerites. Verse 17, but the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem, they are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and turn and burn their fat, as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord and their flesh shall be yours just as the wave breast and the right thigh are yours. All the heave offerings of the holy things with the children of Israel have offered to the Lord. I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. And so here in this chunk, you know, God is letting them know what the different animals that are going to be sacrificed. And we looked in Leviticus for you guys that were with us through that study. We looked at all the specific offerings here. God is saying the different animals that would be offered up. And I want you to just think about it. You know, in their culture, in their time, a cow, a, a goat, a, these are large and they're worth a lot. They had functions. They were how you made money. And God said, look, when you have a fresh litter of cows, the best one, I want that one that one you're going to bring to me and this, we saw she was pregnant we've been waiting on it and now we have the best we're going to bring the best one and give it to the Lord it was their privilege to be able to worship the Lord in this way he had provided it for them that they might worship him with it and so they were to bring these things and again in turn God would make them available to Aaron the priest the Levites and all their families now in verse 16 we note that it said the firstborn of everything that opens a womb that also includes your children. Just so we know that God's not into human sacrifice. Uh, God said for the firstborn to exit the womb, God says, you, you know, redeem him. You don't offer a child to the Lord, you know, the sacrifice. You, you redeem him with the animal or you redeem him with the shekel and you give an offering to the Lord for the child that was born. So just to clarify that for anybody that God's never been into any form of human sacrifice ever. 
And the one time he did tell a man to kill his son, he also told him to stop before he did it. And he was making a point. So God's not into human sacrifice. He didn't allow that. But the firstborn of a cow, a sheep, a goat was to be sanctified, set apart for the Lord. The blood was sprinkled on the altar. And then it said this, that it goes up to the Lord in verse 17 it says, and, and when they burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And once again, I, I realize that the same smells we smell. This is what I think is really cool, right? Like I can't live back here, you know, but I, I know what fat on the grill smells like. You know, I know when we have a holiday, we just had, you know, wasn't a holiday, but Super Bowl is kind of a holiday. When you walk outside, you smell, people got the barbecues going, you smell them. And if you got a rack of fat ribs and some whatever, you, it, it, when you put the, the heat to the fat, it goes up in the air and it smells all right. And so God says, here for me, this is a sweet smelling aroma. But why? Is it a sweet aroma to the Lord like it is to us that it just smells good because your mouth is watering like good food is cooking? I believe that with the Lord, it's a sweet aroma because it's worship. Look, people have sacrificed their best to me. And now it's being offered to me. And that is sweet to me. In the New Testament, if you write notes, you can write down Ephesians 5 verses uh, 1 and 2. And I'll read them to you right now. God says this, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. I want you to pay attention to that. God says here, you guys be imitators of God like children. Anybody got kids that like to copycat one another, copycat their older brother and sister, you know, and annoy one another. God says you be imitators of God like dear, the same way little kids just copy, just follow, do the same. God says you be like that, follow me like that, copycat me like that. And then he says this, and walk in love. And the same way we look here in this offering to God, God says, ah, just sweet to my, it blesses me. When we walk in love, blesses the Lord. He did it. He said, do it like I did it for you guys. God said, I want you to walk in love like I gave you the example, right? So when you and me consider, what's the example of Christ's love? It's two things. Christ's love was sacrificial. He gave everything, gave himself to death, but it was also unconditional. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to be worthy of it. And God says, man, you know what smells good to me? When you guys love each other like that, blesses me. And just an encouragement that um, us people of God, members of the body of Christ, that we would, we walk in love with one another. In the same way here that this sacrifice and this offering blesses the Lord, it also blesses him when we walk in love toward one another. And it grieves the Lord when we don't. You know, when we're mad at each other, treating each other bad. It's just like seeing your kids fight. Nobody wants to see their kids fight. You know, nobody, no parent, no good parent enjoy seeing their kids bicker and fight. You know, it, it kind of grieves and bothers you. You know, you want them to love each other and be all kind and kumbaya. You know, well, God looks down at us and says, man, I want y'all to be all kumbaya. Can y'all love each other? It blesses me when you do. So now back to numbers in verse 18. Again, he said the breast and the right thigh are yours. And like I mentioned before. These are the best pieces. Now I would point this out because this is going to go to the priests and the Levites and all their families. And there are people that think, you know what, if I completely sell out and just live for the Lord. Um, there are people that just they think that if I, if I really just sold out and trusted God and gave him all of my life, 
I think God would leave me hanging. I think it would be difficult. I think life would end up being hard. I don't trust that it'll work out. That's why I'm not fully giving over myself to the Lord. I'm going to continue to do a little bit in my own strength, in my own might. But I just want you to note that those here that were completely given over to the service and the work of the Lord, that God's taking care of them. and He's given his best that they haven't been left hanging. They haven't been forgotten. They've been taken care of. And the Lord is commanded. God said, look, I've commanded that you guys would be taken care of. And so just reminding us that God is faithful. And then the last thing from that section, we got something interesting is I had to go look at what that meant. In the verse 19, it says, it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord and with you and your descendants. And I was looking that up. What is a covenant of salt? And I found a few different explanations. The one that, that I'm sitting with is this. Um, as you look at salt, salt's got different purposes. We know from the New Testament, salt's a preservative. We know that it can preserve and, and it does all those things. But one other thing that's unique about salt is that it doesn't break down in heat. And so you over salt your food, you can't cook it enough to get it out. The heat won't break down the salt. It's going to be salty. So anybody here that's ever overdone it, you know, you oversalted up a dish, you know, there's no way to undo the oversalting. So this is the idea, though. God says this is a covenant of salt with you, right? When you look at the fact that salt doesn't break down in heat, it doesn't break down in difficulty. God says, you know, in the same way, right? For the Levites, for the priests, for them, God says, I'm making this covenant with you and it sticks. It doesn't matter what comes, it doesn't matter what difficult times come, it doesn't matter what fire, what trial, what, what challenges come. This is going to stick. This is going to be there. I found this very interesting. I was just looking this over and thinking it through that many times the things that we want God to, I want God to undo this bad situation. I want God to undo this fire in my life. God says, no, no, we're going to go through this together, right? You're going to be made better. It's rare in the word that you see people go through or have trials or difficulty that God causes them to stop. God wants to walk with you through it. I want you to go through it with me. We're going to get through this. We're going to move through it. And so I wrote down several names of people just so you could consider this. Joseph, he had a long term trial and God didn't stop the trial, but God was with him all the way through it. And it kept saying that you read through that section of Genesis and the Lord was with him and God was with him in Potiphar's house. God was with him in the prison and God was God was with him all the way through until he got him where he was going. Daniel in the lion's den. He was in the lion's den, you know, but God was with him. I mean, God could have kept him out, but God let him go in and God was with him down there. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they got thrown into the fire, but the Lord showed up down there with them and they got brought out. Esther went through her trial and her difficulty. And the Lord was with her to bring her out. Paul went through all sorts of trials, stonings, beatings, imprisonments, and the Lord was with him through each thing. And so you and I, we're going to go through some stuff, too. And there are people that feel like, well, you know, if God really loved me, how come he's letting this happen? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He's going to walk with you through it. You'll get through it with him. Just continue to cling to him. Continue to, to rest in him. Continue to let him be your strength. You want to cling to God in difficulty, not walk away, not bail. And what some Christians do is in trial and difficulty, they get frustrated. I've heard people get mad at God. You know, I, I, mean, God didn't, I, I, I was, was being faithful. I was going to church. I was doing devotions and I didn't get the job I wanted. So I'm forget it. I'm not going to be there this week because God didn't do what they wanted. And, and then what ends up happening is Satan wins because now you've turned your heart against the only one who loves you. You lose twice. And so when God tells them here, it's a covenant of, of salt. I'm going to continue with you guys in difficulty. We'll continue to walk this out. Now, 
I read over in Nehemiah, there was a period of time when the people stopped giving. They stopped bringing the offerings to the Lord. And so what happens? I mean, with the priests, the people quit giving. And if you guys are writing notes, write down Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm going to read Nehemiah 13 verses 10 through 14. And just listen to this real quick. It says, and Nehemiah is realizing how bad things have gotten. And, um, you know, I, I don't have time to go through all of it. But in Nehemiah 13, I'm reading how he handled things. He was very different than Ezra. Ezra was a, a little softer. Nehemiah put hands on people. But in verse 10, it says, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. They weren't taking the offerings to the tabernacle. So the Levites and the priests, they were out there in the field working again. They were out there farming. And in verse 11, it says, so I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their places. Then all of Judah brought their tithe of grain and the new wine and oil to the storehouse. And I appointed a treasurer over the storehouse, Shalima, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Padida, and next to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. And at that period, the people have been unfaithful, and the priests were back out there working. I just want you to note that God raised up a man that was going to go fix it. And it needed to be a hard man. And Nehemiah was that guy. I don't have time to go through it. But as you read through the end of Nehemiah 13, if you're interested in it, the people had also intermarried with pagans and says Nehemiah, he struck some of them like he smacked them in the mouth and says that some of them, he plucked out their beard and he made them swear to God. He did. He made them swear by God that they wouldn't do it anymore. And I'm thinking like, man, if that's the kind of church discipline I want to do, you know, just kidding. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, the point was taken. It got dealt with. You know, they got that stuff straightened out. But, you know, I want just to point out for those priests at that time, they had a difficult time. But God raised up a man that got that thing back in order. And we see that throughout their history. And, and we know that for us, you know, when things get difficult, when, you know, when we've been faithful and doing what God tells us to do, that we we look to the Lord. We look to him to, to come through. So. Now look at verse 20. It says, then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. And I just want you to think about this real quick. Just think about this with me. You're one of 11 other tribes and every other tribe, they're coming out and they're being told you're going to get this land. You're going to get that portion of land. You got to get that big fat chunk over there. And what land meant for them was a resource. Land meant that's how much land I have to raise animals, to have a family, to make a living, to support myself, so forth and so on. And each person being told, you get land, you get this much land. It'd be like in this room, God coming and saying for this group over here, you get in the house in this city, you get in the house, this many square foot for you, this many. Everybody's getting the house and over here, everybody gets told, you guys, you guys get me. You guys don't get land. You guys get me, the Lord would say. And I wonder how many of us would cheer to be the people that get the Lord as their inheritance. Or how many of us would be saying, oh, but he got a house. I want my house, Lord. I mean, I wonder how many of us would want the stuff and be discontented to be the group that God says, but you get me. 
better than stuff. You get what money can't buy. And I want you to just meditate on this because we live in a world and we could be worldly sometimes. All of us Christians, we can look at the world and what they're getting and what they have and start wanting what they have and sinning to get what they have and lusting after what they have. And you have what they don't have. You got the Lord. He's your inheritance. You have the Lord like we have him. Like that's not theory for us. I got Jesus. And if I never get anything else, I have Jesus and Jesus has me. And I just wonder as I read that, I said, I wonder how many people, you know, not churching out. I'm just wondering on for real. If everybody else would get in a house and a thing and a thing in a house and God said, you know what? I don't give you any of that, but you're going to have me and you're going to be busy at church. You're going to serve me, but you're going to have me. We're going to have something so special. We're going to work so closely that you're going to hear from me like they don't hear from me like you're going to hear from me. It's going to be different. And you're going to have purpose in something that matters. You're going to be part of ministering to them and all their stuff. But I got a, a special purpose for you. How many of us are OK with that? How many of us would be God? I trade the stuff to have you, Lord. I'd rather be on this team anyway. Well, verse 20, they didn't get to pick him. He picked them. They didn't get to choose. But God told these groupies, you don't get land. You don't get stuff. You get me. I'm your inheritance. And again, I believe that all believers need to be in a place where that would be the best, where that's what we would want the most. And unlike them, we all have that option. I have Jesus. And I can choose to be glad, to rejoice in what I have, or I can be dissatisfied. Even though I have Jesus, I can be lusting after everybody else and what they have. They got one of those. I want one of those. And I got to walk away from God to pursue getting one. I want to have my piece of that. And I got to walk away from my calling in God to pursue having that. Be careful. We got Jesus. We have the Lord. And there's nothing greater than that. And there are people with millions of dollars and all kinds of stuff, and they don't have the Lord. And when we die, that's like if we could just have eternal vision, that's when everything's going to be seen so clear. Then we'll know there'll be people that they had so much they have so little. In Revelation, there was a group that they said we're rich. We have need of nothing. We're self-sufficient. But you know what God's perspective was? That you're poor, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. And you need me. We don't want to be that. I want to be over here clothed in his righteousness and satisfied in him. Amen. And so we need to all fight off the desire to have and to be like the world when God has made something so much greater available to us in him. Amen. Amen. Verse 21 now, 21 to 24, it says, behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes of Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Verse 24, for the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given them to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I have said to them among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. And God is just kind of nailing this point home. He said it three different times. I told them they have no inheritance. They have no inheritance. They have no inheritance because they have me. And it's far greater. And as he lists here, the things that were going to be provided, what God was going to continue to do for them. He says now there's a difference being made that the people are not going to be able to come near to the tabernacle, the people of the Israelites, they're not going to be able to enter in. He says, this is just set apart place for the priests and the Levites. They have special access. 
and the people are not to come near. If they do, they'll die. And if you guys were here a few weeks back, it was Korah, uh, Dathan, Abiram. They learned that lesson the hard way. You know, you remember they were complaining against Moses and they, wow, we could do it too. You, how come you guys think you special? And God opened up the ground and swallowed them whole and they were no more. And so God said, there's a limitation on how far you guys are going to be able to go. I have people taking care of that. And that was God's law. That's what he established. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Numbers, well, it has a lot of numbers, but there's much more in this book than that. During their long, drawn-out journey, the Israelites' faith in God is tested. In return, these wayward people test God's patience towards them, but God remains faithful and true in looking out for His chosen people. When you think about it, it's no different today. People disobey and test God's patience, while they also endure hardships and challenges that they wouldn't have desired. But in all, God remains faithful through and through. If you missed any part of this series in the book of Numbers, you can hear these messages by going to CalvaryInglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our service times are on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Numbers, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You might be surprised by how things in this book might apply to the very things you're working through in your own life. So be sure to join us again to hear and be challenged by a transforming word.